Good morning, guys. Um, looking forward to uh, getting into God's Word together. And uh, I've got to be honest, I've really been praying and wrestling quite a bit about over what to preach on here over the last month. Uh, there's a lot being said, and some of it's great, and some of it's not. And I think what's been really encouraging is there are, you know, everyone has a voice, which has been great. But that's also at times I've definitely felt a uncertainty of I don't know what to say. I know I want to say something. I know I need to say something, but, but I don't necessarily know what. And so I think where I've landed is that I want God's word to be the loudest voice. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be heavily focused on God's word. And I've found great comfort in God's word. And in the fact that I don't have to find the perfect words to say because Jesus has the perfect words. And so the title of my series over the next few weeks is Shift. And uh, you can pray for me that I don't accidentally cuss throughout this series. Okay, that's kind of a tricky word to say over and over again without slipping. Uh, Shift. But uh, as I was wrestling with what to preach about, I was wondering, what would Jesus preach about? You know, and arguably the central theme of Jesus's preaching was the kingdom of God. And so that's what I want to talk about some over the next few weeks. And so throughout, we're going to be in and around the Sermon on the Mount. So if you're looking for something to study out in your quiet times, that's a good place to land for the time being. Now, there is absolutely no way to cover the entire Sermon on the Mount in three weeks. Okay, so don't expect that. Uh, And the kingdom is such a dense, complex topic. And frankly, our understanding of the kingdom is still deepening and growing. And so I'm not going to be covering every known aspect of the kingdom. But what I hope to do is point us to King Jesus and to his kingdom and to the good news about his kingdom and to how we are to bring about change living as citizens of this kingdom. And so the subtitle for my lesson today is Repent and Believe. Let's go ahead and go to God in prayer before we dive into God's word this morning. God, thank you so much for your word. God, this has been such a challenging time. God, such a confusing time, such a fearful time, such a Uh, such an angry time, such a time of of hurt. Um, But God, I'm so grateful for you. And God, there truly is good news of your kingdom, and, and we need that. And God, I pray over these next few weeks as we study out your kingdom, God, that you would open our hearts. God, that you would open our minds to be able to shift to a new way of thinking, a new way of seeing things, your way. God, we want to submit to you. We want to submit to the lordship of Jesus. We want to live as citizens of your kingdom. God, I pray that your kingdom would continue to unfold. And God, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we love you. Please open our hearts and our minds to your word. It's in your son Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. You know, so in the middle, in the middle of January... This past January, 
I just found myself feeling kind of stuck. That's really the only word I can, I can kind of think of. You know, I was really busy. I was doing a lot. My days were full, but I was just kind of tired and I wasn't really finding a lot of passion in what I was doing. I guess just kind of going through the motions. I'm sure you guys can relate uh, or have been in a place in your faith like that before. And so I decided I, I just needed, I needed to get away. I need to get away and just retreat with God for a little bit. So I got away for a couple days and I, and I just took about a day and a half just to pray and to fast and to read God's word. And, and as I was reading, I was reading through the book of Acts. And as I was reading, there was something that kept hitting me, something that kept standing out. It seemed like every paragraph that I read, it mentioned something along the lines of, they preached the good news wherever they went, or they preached the gospel wherever they went, or the good news about Jesus, or the good news of the kingdom. You know, and they weren't just begrudgingly reaching out and inviting people to church events. I mean, they were desperately, passionately sharing this good news about Jesus, about the kingdom. They were willingly being beaten, being thrown into prison, being stoned, being killed, traveling all around the world because this news was so good that they had to share it. And after reading and praying and fasting and reading over and over again and seeing this over and over again, I started to ask myself, what am I missing? What is so good about this news? Right? And I, I feel like I've devoted, you know, my adult life to trying to spread the gospel. And here I was reading in the book of Acts and seeing just a different depth of understanding of just how good this news was. And I almost felt, I almost felt guilty. Like here I am an evangelist. I'm in the full-time ministry. And I feel like I'm asking myself one of the most basic questions of Christianity. What, what is what is so good about this news that these people would give up their lives and give up everything to share it? And so since then, I've been reading and studying and trying to deepen my understanding of what this good news is, why this news is so good. What is this news about the kingdom all about? You know, and I've got to, I've got to say, I think the good news of the kingdom has made more sense to me in recent weeks than it ever has before up to this point in my life. Guys, and I think the reality is it's hard to understand how good the news is about the kingdom unless you're really aware of how bad the current condition is and how broken the current kingdoms are. And frankly, especially as a extremely privileged white male living in America, I don't think I've had to see how broken our world is, especially not to the extent of others. You know, the Jews, they knew this firsthand. I mean, after the glory days of the kingdom of Israel under, uh, you know, David and Solomon, I mean, you're talking about 700 years of humiliation, of exile, of oppression and injustice being tossed back and forth between other major world kingdoms. And that's not even to mention 400 years of slavery in Egypt prior to all that. 
But along the way, they were provided with these messages of hope that the God of Israel is still sovereign. And there was coming a day when he would establish his kingdom. Let's look at some of the descriptions of this kingdom and this king in the Old Testament. We're going to be in Isaiah here a little bit. Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 6. It says, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. It says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and of might, of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees or decide by what he hears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. In chapter 32 of Isaiah, starting in verse 1, it says, See, a king will reign in righteousness and rulers will rule with justice. Each one will be like a shelter from the wind, a refuge from the storm, like streams of water in the desert and the shadow of a great rock in a thirsty land. Isaiah 42, verse 1. It says, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on the earth In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. And lastly, in Daniel chapter 2. It says in the time, verse 44, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people, and it will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. But it will itself Endure forever. Man, what what a message of hope. What good news for a people that had been oppressed and mistreated by surrounding kingdoms for several centuries. God was going to establish his kingdom and it would crush 
and put an end to all the other kingdoms of the world, it would never be destroyed. It would never be overtaken by another people. It would endure forever. And in this kingdom, there would be a king that actually cared about justice and righteousness. Man, what good news. And so as the years pass by, the anticipation and the hope of this coming kingdom and this king grew and grew that maybe this would be the year. Finally, maybe this would be the year. Maybe this would be the time. But every year there was this mixture of enthusiasm and hope and disappointment and longing and crying out to God when that day would come. And as anticipation grew and grew and grew, you can imagine the buzz when word started to spread that there was this guy named John out in the wilderness that was starting to spread this message to prepare yourself because the kingdom of God was near. Turn over to Mark chapter 1. Imagine the excitement when this guy, Jesus, started to go around saying this in verse 15 of Mark chapter 1. It says, the time has come. Wow, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Finally, finally the time has come. Down with Rome, right? That's what they were thinking. Finally, where's our mighty king that was going to come and usher in this new kingdom and bring about justice and judge all the other nations of the world? Finally, the time has come. But I want to focus on this phrase here that Jesus says, repent and believe. And I want to talk a little bit about that. Because although this new kingdom was breaking in and although this kingdom was going to bring about change in the world, it was a kingdom that looked very different than anyone expected. And the way that it was going to bring about change was a much stranger strategy than anyone would have ever thought up. Repent and believe. You know, we, we know this phrase in a religious sense, right? Repent and believe. And I think when we read these types of passages, what we hear is, hey, stop sinning. Stop what you're doing. Change, okay? Uh, or you're going to miss out on heaven, right? That's kind of how we read this. And so when we read that John and Jesus were going through preaching, repent for the kingdom is near, well, that's, that's kind of how we hear it. Hey, stop sinning because this new kingdom is here and you're going to miss out on it because you're so sinful, That's not really what Jesus was saying here. Jesus was telling them to set aside their agenda. Set aside the way that you think things should happen. Set aside the way that you've been going about doing things and believe in me. Set aside what you think should be done and trust in my way. Follow me in the way that I tell you to go. Because you're going the wrong direction. 
And he was urging them to prepare their minds for a major shift in the way that they saw things, viewed things, and did things. Because the teachings that were going to follow, this, the teachings of this new kingdom, were going to be so different than any logic or instinct. You know, and, and this was one of the major issues with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Because they were so stuck in the way that they thought things should be and the way they expected things to happen. They were so stuck and they were so prideful that they either couldn't or wouldn't shift the way that they thought about things. And so they missed it. The kingdom of God that they had waited for and prayed for for years and years and years was unfolding right under their nose and they missed it because they couldn't shift the way they saw things or the way they thought things should happen or unfold. They were expecting a physical kingdom, a literal kingdom that would bring the other world nations down to their knees through political savvy through militaristic force. They expected a leader that had the charisma and military prowess as David, the wisdom of Solomon, and the strength of Dwayne the Rock Johnson to come on the scene and bring about justice to the world. And to bring them back to past glory of the kingdom of Israel. That's what they expected. That's what they wanted. But that's not at all the kingdom that Jesus was ushering in. But they couldn't grasp the idea that the way they had been doing things just maybe was a little off, was a lot off. And so they missed it. And they were so stuck in these religious rituals that they had created and convinced themselves of and defended that they couldn't make that shift. They wouldn't make that shift. And here's the reality. They had a lot to lose. They had a lot to lose with this change. Because the religious system that had been created favored them greatly they would have had to give up a lot of comfort. It would have meant a new way of leadership. It would have meant surrender of a lot of authority. It would have meant spending time with people that they didn't really want to spend time with. They didn't want a serving savior. They didn't want a meek Messiah. They didn't want a prince of peace. And the reality was the good news of the kingdom was actually pretty disappointing news to them. Guys, I, I don't know what God is doing right now. I have little to no answers. But he's doing something. His hand is on the world. And I believe that we are in the midst of the kingdom of God further breaking in. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to be overdramatic or be a prophet of doom, 
But I think there is a chance that God is ushering in a new way of doing things. And I think if Jesus were to pay us a visit, he would be urging us to repent and believe, to set aside the way that we've been thinking things should be done and should look like, and to trust in him and his way. Guys, in some ways, if we're just being real, our faith has been reduced to attending events. The good news of the kingdom has become, hey, come show up to a group of really friendly people, watch a band play some music, and listen to a guy give a sermon, and then we'll all be really nice to each other, and you'll have some friendships that you've never really had, and that's about it. Campus ministry and team ministry have slowly started to become an organization of some fun people that invite people out to play dodgeball. If we're being real, that's where this is headed. And that's what, that, that's what our faith has started to be reduced down to. There's got to be more to the good news of the kingdom of God than that. God is doing something. Guys, think about it. The entire structure of the way we have done things, God has put it all on halt. There's no more buildings. There's no more bands. There's no more events. There's no more dodgeball. There's no more kickball. There's just a broken world that is searching and crying out for healing and for hope. God is doing something. And I'm not sitting here trying to say everything we're doing is wrong and everything needs to change and let's throw everything out. I, like I said, I don't, I don't have very many answers right now. I don't know where this whole thing is headed and what it's going to look like in the years to come. I know that change is going to happen. I know that change needs to happen. I just don't know what it's going to fully look like. But what I do know is that I don't want to be so stuck that I'm either unable or unwilling to make that shift to a new way that maybe God is trying to usher in. I don't know what lays ahead, but guys, we've got to be open to the possibility that the religion that we have set up and are so accustomed to may need a major shift. And that could be... That can be scary for me. I've had days and nights where I'm sitting here thinking, man, what is, what is ministry going to look like? What is leadership going to look what, what? And I, I, It can be confusing. It can be scary. It can be uncertain. But all I know is I don't want to be a Pharisee. I don't want to be so stuck that I just can't make that shift. Now, I know there are some that are hearing all of this and are fired up because you're ready to blow the whole thing up. Jesus is speaking to that as well in this phrase, repent and believe. And so I, I want to share a little story here. It's a true story from a time not too long after Jesus was crucified, okay, uh, that helps us. I think it will help us deepen even further our understanding of what Jesus was saying here when he said, repent and believe. Okay. So many of you have heard of Josephus, right? He was a first century Jewish writer and historian. And he tells this story 
when he's writing about his own life of a time in the 60s AD uh, that he was a young army commander just as the Jewish revolt against Rome was about to start. And so some Galileans had it on their mind that they were going to forcefully overthrow Rome. I mean, they were, they, were, they were focused on it. They were determined. And so Josephus was sent from Jerusalem to Galilee to try to persuade their commander, their leader, to shift his mind and be open to a new strategy. Because the strategy that they were going about was not going to be effective and it wasn't going to end well. And so he used a quite familiar phrase. And he quoted here as he's writing about himself. He says, I told the brigade leader to repent and believe in me. Now, right, how we read this passage, Josephus wasn't telling this brigade leader, hey, stop sinning and feel really bad and have a religious experience and change or you won't go to heaven. That's not what he was saying. What he was saying was, hey, shift your mind here. Trust me. Set aside your strategy for bringing about change and take up my strategy. Trust in a different strategy. Trust me. And guys, that's part of what Jesus is saying here. He's just saying, guys, change is going to happen. But you've got to set aside the way that you think change should happen and trust in me. Trust in my way. Do things my way. Because in this kingdom, it's done a very different way than what's natural. And there were some where it was hard for them to get that. Because they were so convinced that this was the only way to bring about change. And Jesus ushered in a new teaching that was so unheard of. He's saying, no, repent and believe. He's not saying, hey, stop sinning or you won't go to heaven. He's saying, no, no, no. Set aside whatever you think. Set it all aside and surrender to my lordship. Trust in me. Trust in my ways Trust in my teachings. Guys, God is doing something. I don't know what. But his hand is on the world. That is so evident. And I don't know exactly what things are going to look like. But guys, I'm calling us as a church, myself included, to repent and believe. To set, of, to, to set aside our way of thinking, to set aside our way of whatever, to set aside our way of how we've even done things and how we think things have to be. And to make that shift and be prepared to shift our minds that maybe there's a new way. Maybe there's a new strategy. Maybe Jesus has a different way of doing things than what's natural or makes sense to us. And guys, I don't know where you're at this morning, but I know that there's some of you out there that are plenty comfortable with the way that things have been and the structure that's been set up and the religious rituals and routines. And you just can't wait for some of this stuff to blow over so that we can go back to business as usual. I'm urging you to prepare your minds for a major shift. Prepare your hearts for a major shift because the kingdom of God is further unfolding 
right before our eyes, and there's a chance that this thing is going to look way different than what it has, and it needs to look way different than what it has. Please don't be so stuck that you miss it. But I also know that there are people out there that want to blow the whole thing up and are ready for change. It's about time. Finally, the time has come. And frankly, you don't care who gets hurt in the process. I'm asking you. I'm pleading with you. I'm urging you. Shift your mind. Be prepared to shift the way that you think change should come about. Because the strategy that Jesus ushers in in this new kingdom goes against logic, goes against anything that makes sense, and goes against our natural instincts. Guys, the kingdom of God is unfolding right before us. I really believe. I don't know what it's all going to look like. I don't have very many answers. But God's doing something. Guys, we've got to set it all aside. We've got to set ourselves aside and submit to King Jesus and to his way to repent and to believe. I love you guys. I'm really looking forward next week to coming back together as we dig in a little bit into the Sermon on the Mount and some of this strategy about how the kingdom of God was going to bring about change and what relationships in the kingdom of God really look like. So I love you guys. Uh, Have a great day.